receive healing from God, there are many ways we receive wisdom from God. But when we are in the presence of God, sometimes we find ourselves waiting for God to do something. When we need to reach out and receive what God has done. And just like with the woman with the issue of blood who walked into a midst of people, she received what she needed. If you're here and you need to receive something from God, stop waiting on God to move and receive what He's done. And in His presence, reach out. Father, I, th- I thank You. I received that. Father, I thank You. I received that. That healing that I need is mine. That need I have is taken care of. Glory be to Your name. Father, I've received that. From this moment forward, it's settled. It's done. I've received it. In the name of Jesus. 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 It does not take long to receive things from God. The woman received it in an instant. She received it right away. If you need something from God, what is it that you need? And what have you received? What we need to understand is when we receive a thing from God... It's done. Whether you feel it or not makes no difference. But it's done. It's done. We go on from there and we talk about it like it's done. It's done. It will be done. It is done. I have received. That's mine. I have received it. That's mine. Too often, folks, we are found receiving things from God at one point and talking like I will receive it in another. Now, I've I've got it. I've got it. We've got to go on and, and, and speak that way. And talk that way. Do you have it? Did you receive something from God? How many believe that you, you, had a, you came in here and needed something and believe you received something from God here this morning? Glory to God. You get a testimony already, you let us know what it is. As it comes in this, this week, wherever it comes in, share it. Don't just keep it to yourself. Share it. Let people know. This is what God has done. <laughs> Glory to God. He's at work. He's doing things for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we look to your word here today because from your word we receive wisdom, understanding. We are prepared not only for the challenges we face in life, but, Father, to help those that are around us with their challenges. You give us wisdom, wisdom for our life and wisdom for those that are around. We thank you for it. We open up ourselves, Father, to receive what you have for us. For you speak to us by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. It is good to see you all here this morning. We're going to be in a number of different places uh, in the beginning here, but we are going to end up over in 2 Samuel. And if you see a reference to 1 Samuel, I think I got rid of most of them, but uh, I accidentally wrote 1 Samuel in there on some of the places and had to go back and try and catch them all. So if you find a place that says 1 Samuel, just read it as 2 Samuel and you'll be on the same page. Well, we've all seen those stories about Sunday morning announcements or bulletin announcements and some of the things that were written in and some of the things that were done. Well, a pastor got up one week and he said, I need to make a correction to an, announce, to an announcement in last week's bulletin. It read, the church will host an evening of fine dining, super entertainment and gracious hostility. <laughs> it should have read, the church will host an evening of fine dining, super entertainment and gracious hospitality. Sorry, folks, we are a loving church, not a hostile one. He then went on to say, I just have one announcement for this morning. The peacekeepers meeting scheduled for this afternoon has been canceled due to a conflict. (laughs) 
Sometimes we try and make corrections, and the corrections are worse than the original thing. We've been talking the last number of weeks about our heart condition. There are a number of things that can come into our heart and can poison us, our heart, that can cause our heart to go wrong. A number of things that can do that. One of the main ones we've been looking at here is pride. When pride gets in, the Word of God says that God even resists us. But when pride comes in, there's a number of signs, a number of things that we see that occur, that happen in our life. There's a number of ways we can tell that we have fallen in pride. There's a number of ways we can tell that others have fallen into pride. And we need to be careful because sometimes we have hooked up, connected with, become attached to people who are prideful. And some of that pride will get off on us. Some of those ways will get off on us. We need to be careful about it. If God resists the proud, why should we draw close to them? Right? If God resists the proud, He knows something about it. He knows something. Now, He doesn't ignore them. He, doesn't, doesn't, uh, he wants to help them. But understand, the people that you get close to, the people that are going to be helping you, the people that you're going to receive from, need to be people who are not in pride. They need to be people that are humble. They're going to bring you along the same, the same kind of way. We looked at some of the actions of pride, that the actions of pride, just like a dead fish, just like dirty laundry, just like a dirty di- diaper, what do they all have in common? They stink. You can tell the actions of pride in a person because they stink. We looked at some of the things that you will see. That first off, people in pride, this is just review, but people in pride will blame others, not themselves. Something is always someone else's fault. It's someone else who did it. It's, it's not me. It's always someone else's fault. Until we find out the cause of a thing, there is no lasting change. We've talked before about that uh, doctrine that's trying to make its way around the church about uh, ultra grace. And people who, some of the people, I won't say all the people, but some of the people who teach this, are trying to get into people that you don't need to repent. That once you got saved, everything's covered. Well, that's wrong. The Word of God talks about repenting. There's a reason for it. Find out what's the cause. We need to find out what the cause is. If you go get your car fixed, and they say it's the brakes, and you bring it home, and it's still broken, it's still not working, it's still making the same noise, you're not happy, are you? We want to find out what caused that problem and fix that problem. Fixing something doesn't necessarily take care of it. And so... uh, People in pride tend to blame others. People who have a false sense of humility tend to blame themselves for everything. That doesn't do you any good either. You've got to find out what's the cause. If I'm not the cause, I shouldn't say that I am. If something I did is not the cause, it shouldn't, I shouldn't say that it is. Because then I'm not fixing anything. We've got to make sure we fix the right thing. So they blame others. They judge others. They don't judge themselves. They get angry at others, not themselves. People in pride edify themselves, not others. We looked at Elijah. When God came out to edify him, which was to build him up, get him back again, he first off said to him, Get up! Then he said to him, What? Get back and get busy. Most people who are down and out aren't doing anything. They're not busy. You need to get busy. You need to start doing some things. Get up, get back, get busy. That was God's way to to do that. Last week we looked about about Amplify, that uh, people in pride amplify themselves, not others. We looked at the life of Jehu. He was our example for that. We go around and we look at, look at what I have done. Look at my acts of, look how zealous I have been for the Lord, is what Jehu said. And he, and he took a guy up. 
And he said, let's go take a look at all the things I've done for God. <laughs> when people are in pride, they begin to amplify themselves. They're trying to show other people that first off, God loves me. God works through me. And God sees me as special. God loves me. God works through me. And God sees me as special. They're in pride. They may work real hard for God. They may get a lot of things done. But we saw in the Word of God that people who are gathered before the judgment seat. And he says to him, depart from me, for I never knew you. But we did all these things. And he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. It's important that God knows us. Not, a bit important, not as important that we get things done. It's good to work for God. It's good to do things for God. But don't be out there amplifying your, yourself. How many of y'all know some, some people in some professions? And they're in those professions and they're always talking about how good they are at what they do. And, how, and as soon as they do that, it's how bad everyone else is. You know, a doctor who's in pride, every other doctor is lousy. A musician who's in pride, every other musician is lousy. A pastor who's in pride, every other pastor is lousy. We've got to be careful of these kind of things. Because you get the idea that we're the only good one. Get like Elijah. Elijah comes out of the mountain. And what's he say to God? Among other things, I alone and left. There's no one who serves you like me. I'm the best you got. <laughs> and God says, Elijah, I got 7,000 other people. And all of them want to take your place. <laughs> Tell you what, why don't you go out there and anoint one? I'm going to have you anoint Elisha. He's going to take your spot. That's how irreplaceable you are. <laughs> See, that's the thing. The devil likes to get us into a spot where we begin to think we are irreplaceable. God needs me. You are not. If you died today, we'd be working on your replacement tomorrow. Right? <laughs> yeah, we would. We all like to think, oh, there's no one as good as me. Yeah, there are. There's lots of them. Anyway, people in pride, they amplify themselves, not others. Again, you go to the flip side. People who are false sense of humility are always amplifying other people and never themselves. If you say, oh, that was really great what you did. No, it was, that was not. It was not. That's wrong. That's wrong. The Word of God says, don't think any more highly of yourself than you ought to think, which means you, it is okay to think highly of yourself, just not more highly than you ought to. Treat others as you would. Yourself. Love others as you love Yourself, if you have no love for yourself, if you don't treat yourself well, how are you going to do with others? It's not going to be very good. All right, so this time we're going to go into the, the sixth one. And this is well, the people in pride will gossip about others, but won't gently correct. The Word of God talks about correction. People in pride will harshly correct, but they will not gently correct. And they will talk about other people and all the things that they are doing or are not doing. Well, amen, it's so anyway. <laughs> I mean, I do. <laughs> how many of you know people over at work, over in the neighborhood, and they are caught up in pride, and they always know how everyone else has missed it? They always know what everyone else is doing wrong. Have you ever thought to yourself, maybe just a little bit, man, if, if you can find that much wrong with everybody else, I wish you could find something wrong with yourself and fix it. But they don't. They don't. So we wanted to just do some preliminary stuff here on the correcting issue. There are stages of correction. Here's the, here's the top stage, the, the number one thing. 
when I am ready to change, or what I am ready to change, how many know that there are some things that God has revealed to us and we are ready to change it? He shows it to me. I say, oh, I see that. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to change that. This is what I am hearing. I can hear this. I can hear God speaks to me. He says, Steve, you've been missing it in this area. Change it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm ready to do that. And, you know, if everything fell into that category, wouldn't life be wonderful? It would be wonderful. But unfortunately, that's, that's not all there. There's a second one. What I am supposed to change, but I'm slow in, I'm slow in obeying. I'm supposed to change. How many of y'all know that this is something in your life you're supposed to change? God's dealt with you. God's spoken to you. God says, change that. And I know I need to change. It's not changed yet. Right? It's kind of like, a, go back to your car. Have you ever had a mechanic say, your tires need to be changed? Okay, I, I know my tires need to be changed. We don't always do it right away, right? Why? Well, it costs a lot of money. You're going to replace tires? You know, it, uh, I don't know how much it costs to replace yours. I know how much it costs to replace mine. And it's not pretty. My neighbor and I, we were comparing tires the other day. Um, he has a truck that's newer than mine. He's already replaced the tires on them. He's already replaced them. I haven't replaced the tires on mine yet. I've had it for five years. 53,000 miles on a set of tires. Glory to God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm replacing them this year. <laughs> but that's all right. 53,000 miles out of a set of tires. I'll take, I'll take that. That's, that's pretty good. That's all right. But, you know, I could go to the mechanic and get the thing inspected and he could say, in order to pass inspection, you need tires, which means I have to go and get them changed. I know I need to get them changed, but I am not prepared yet to change them. You know, my, my vehicle is a truck. The tires on your car are tiny. <laughs> the tires on my truck are big. They also come, you know, bigger tires come with a bigger price tag. So, you know, I'm kind of getting ready. I kind of know it's coming. It's all right. We'll be ready for it. And I haven't replaced the brakes yet either. I haven't, brakes are the same brakes. I mean, there's nothing on my truck that's been fixed. Hasn't needed it. Has not, has not needed a single thing to be fixed in five years. Nothing. Not, change the oil. That's it. I've not done to do anything else. Everything else is working just fine. Well, wiper blades. I changed some wiper blades. Glory to God. I like that. No, I'll probably get in there and they'll probably tell me it's time to change the brakes. That's all right. You don't want to get in there and start complaining. Oh, dear God, how come? No. I got 53,000 miles on those brakes. And I'll tell you what, my truck carries some weight. It, does, it is not just carrying me. It's carrying some weight. And sometimes I have a load on there. And, and when I'm stopping, you may not ever experience this in a, in a car. But when you stop with a truck and it's got some weight on it, you can tell the difference. From when you have nothing in the truck and when you have a lot of something in the truck. It does not stop the same way. You know how you all know where that sweet spot is in your, in your brakes? And you hit that and that's where it doesn't work. It moves. <laughs> You've got to go down a little bit further to get that thing to stop. And if you don't remember that, then you could be in trouble. So anyway, there's some things that we're supposed to change, but I'm not quite there yet. Not quite ready to make that change. I'm not prepared. Whatever it might be, I, I heard... Change this, but I haven't made the, haven't made the change just yet. I'm still doing it the same way I was before. I need to work on those, but I heard them. That's at least better than some of the other ones. 
Here's the third one. What should be changed, but I have resisted hearing it. Now, see, this is a little bit different. You know, with the tires, all right, I, I, I got to change the tire. I, I, really, I accept that. The tires need to be changed. We can do that. But there are some things that they may be saying to you. They say, all right, we want you to change the transmission. I am not ready to No, I do not need to change. Right? We are not prepared to hear that. We're not ready. God may be speaking some things to us to change, but I am not ready to change. I, I don't want to hear that. I like that. I think that's okay. Don't be telling me I can't do that. There's a resistance there. What should be changed, what should, it should be changed in my life. But I have resisted hearing. Y'all know we can resist hearing God. We can resist it. That's not, that's not a good thing to get into. We learned it when we were kids. We learned how to resist hearing things our parents said. And we get mad when our kids resist hearing what we say. We should be changed. Here's the fourth one. What I am unwilling to change, what I have decided not to hear. In other words, I'm not resisting hearing it. I heard it. But I'm, I decided I'm, I am not God, I don't care what you do. I am not changing that. God says, Steve, I want you to go and do this. I say, nope, I'm not going. I'm not going. Have you ever seen that with a little, little kid? A little kid, you, you're, you're going around the Walmart because this is where it happens. <laughs> you go into the Walmart store and you, you watch the little kids with the moms. And the little kid is, my mom are having a battle. And mom says, no. And the little one says, <laughs> Just defiantly as I am too. <laughs> right? And you can see the battle going on. And we're, you kind of want to get away, but you want to stay. You want to watch. Right? <laughs> you you kind of want to get away, but you want to be within earshot. You want to watch and see what happens. Who wins this battle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We sometimes have that with God too. It'd be great if everything was in I am ready to change. God, just tell me what it is and I will change it. But there are some areas in our life where we have been resistant in some areas where we've downlight, we heard it, but I said, I am not doing it. Those are the stages of correction. Hopefully, we can get everything into that first one. Here's the sources of correction. First off, His Word. He speaks His Word to correct us. He tells us, this is what you should do. This is what I want you to do. This is my will. So He shows us in His Word. That's one. Um, my Spirit. My Spirit. The Spirit that God gave me. I didn't put this in your outline, but in 1 John 3, verse 20, for, our heart condemns, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. It is your heart. It's your spirit that can condemn you. Your spirit, can, if it's renewed on the word of God, will direct you into those things. Sometimes, though, our spirit can be renewed on other things. Traditions. Thoughts. Things that are not in the word of God. Brethren, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Then there's His Spirit. His Spirit can come in and speak to us as well. How many times have we gone through life and God says, Don't do that. Don't go there. Study this. Prepare this. Spirit of God speaks to us. We didn't think it. Spirit of God just spoke to it. We received it. That's a, that's a corrective thing. 
Not always is correction telling us not to do something. Sometimes correction is saying, go here, do this. It's correcting us. It wants us to, to go. If you're driving on down, you were driving on down here in the road to get here to church this morning. When you drove down here to get to church this morning, not every, not every uh, all of you anyway, made a straight line. It's not a straight line for most of your houses to hear the church, is it? You have to turn. So in order to go forward and go where you have to go, you have to adjust that car to turn left, turn right, whatever it might be. So sometimes to go forward, God turns us. So it's his spirit. Here's the fourth one, his servants. The servants of God, he sometimes uses to correct us. He will sometimes send us. These can be a source of... Of that. Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say on this. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, it wasn't too long ago we went over this verse. And we talked about this one where it says, Bear each other's burdens. The other one that each one should bear their own load. So that's, you can go back there and get that. He's not, he's not contradicting himself. There are some things that we need to help each other out with, special heavy loads we need to help each other out with. But everyday stuff, you need to learn how to handle it. And stop depending on brothers and sisters to help you out with everyday stuff, is what he's teaching in, in there. But when something extra special comes along, extra heavy, we come along and we help out with that. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself as you also be tempted. Well, i got to first off determine that this person, this brother, this sister has fallen off, is going in the wrong direction. Once I've done that, I need to go and to restore them. But who am I supposed to go to? The person. But too many times, we rather go to other people instead of the people that needed to hear it. Instead of the people that we saw the thing in. That's wrong. That's a, that's a spirit of pride. That's pride getting a hold of you. Because you were telling, see what brother so-and-so did? Yeah, they shouldn't be doing that sort of stuff. Got no business doing it. Don't be talking about it. Matthew 18, verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? God is concerned about ones that stray. We're going to have the heart of God. We've got to have the heart of God. God is concerned about people that stray. If God is concerned about people who stray, should we be? If we are going to have the heart of God, should we not have the same concern for people that have gone astray? Should we not approach it the same way God has? Now, it's been a little while since we went over it, but remember the uh, three lost parables that Jesus taught. The lost coin, the lost lamb, and the lost son. All talk about how to deal with lost folks three different ways. The son is the mature one. What happens to the son who is the mature one? What does the father do? Stays home. He does not pursue him. He does not go after him, does he? Contrast that to the other two. When the lamb went astray, what did the shepherd do? He went after it because a lamb doesn't know any better straight off. The lost coin, if you lose a coin, the coin is not lost because of any fault of the coin. The coin is lost because the person who had it mishandled it. The person who handed it in this case was a woman. Typically, that represents the church. What he's probably trying to get at is that the church mishandled some folks and they got lost. Well, he says, go, go find them. Now, when she goes to find them, what does she use? A lamp. And what is a lamp a type of? 
the Holy Spirit. You seek after the Spirit, but you go after him. The first two, they went after. The third one, the Son, the mature one, they stayed home. You don't pursue everyone. You listen to the Spirit of God. If you, keep, if you pursue sons and don't pursue lambs, you're missing it. You don't have the heart of God. See, too often we, we don't pursue the lambs and we pursue the mature ones. That's not what we're supposed to do. It's not the example of the Word of God. Anyway, that was a whole other lesson another time. We can get past uh, on that one. But he says, 99, he's going to leave in the mountain to go find the one that's straying. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over the sheep that, than over the 99 that did go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Not the will of God. That is the will of, Now, do people perish? So the will of God is not always happening, is it? Just because something happened in this world, just because something happened in your life does not mean it's the will of God. Verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. That's the instructions, right? Listen to what he says. Go and tell him. That's it. Not a whole group of people. Go and tell him. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the word, the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. We spent time on this before, so I'm just going to give it to you real quick on, on this one. This is not talking about every offense that you have. This is the process for it. There are certain offenses, and the Word of God tells us real clearly what it is, but well, we're going to get lost in all the details of these things, and we don't want to, we want to do all that. So just understand, uh, just, because, uh, you did, just, just because a brother did something to you doesn't mean we need to bring it before the church. <laughs> That's just not the way that it is. It's, it's pretty clear what it is. We've taught on it before, but anyway, let's keep on going. Second Timothy chapter two twenty four. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, in humility, correcting, in humility, correcting, not in pride. You get in pride, you're going to hurt people. In humility, correcting. This is what the servant of the Lord must do. Don't don't sit around quarreling. Don't sit around fighting about, debating about all these things. Be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Second Timothy 4, 4 and verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Is that telling us that we should offer some correction? James five nineteen, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death, and cover a multitude of sins. Well, people are going to wander from the truth. If they wander from the truth, you've got to make a judgment that they wander from the truth and you need to go over there and correct them. Now, you need to be in a position to correct them. Not, not always are we in a position to correct them. If I see a brother going in a wrong direction and I am not in a, in a position with that brother or sister's life to offer correction, should I go tell everybody else about it? Now, we all know that, but what happens in reality? We sometimes mess up on that, don't we? we? We talk to other people. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy, 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If you ever need to correct someone, you need to always keep this in mind. Don't speak to people like they're nothing. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That does not teach that you are not to look out after your own interest. He says, not only look out after your own interest, but also look out after the interest of others. False humility gets you in that you don't look out after your own interest. That's wrong. Look out after your own interest, but also look out after the interest of others. Now, as a servant, I can be used in correction. God may, I may be uh, close to a person in their life somehow, and I may see something in their life that needs to be corrected. Let me just ask you this. Have you ever had a brother or sister in Christ, new believer, old believer, whatever it might be, and you saw an error in their ways? Sometimes the Spirit of God reveals it to you. Sometimes you just know it by knowing the Word of God. If that happens, I could do a couple of things. I could see something to correct, but go to the wrong people. Who's, who's the right people? The ones who, who's, who's, who's gone astray. The one who's offending. I could see something to correct and go to the right person, but be premature. I could be early on this. You've got to understand, just because you see something wrong does not mean you need to open your mouth. As a mature person, the more mature you get in the Word of God, the more you get to know the Word of God, the more you are going to see people in error. You're just going to see it. Because you know what? There's whole, we all miss God. We're missing God somewhere. God's dealing with us. He's growing us up. But, and, and sometimes, you know, we're doing all the Word that we know, but we don't know it all. And somebody knows more than we do. So we go to the right person, but we're premature. God hasn't dealt with them yet. I, I saw it, but I didn't ask God anything about it. Got to ask God. If you see a brother in sin, you ask God, God. God, what should I do about this? We can go to the right person as God directed. That's the best way. God directed said, Steve, you saw that? I want you to go deal with that person. Okay, God, how do I, what, what should I say? How should I deal with them? You, you talk with God. You find out. You get a, you get a strategy. You get a way to, to go about this. You listen to them. I go to the right person as God directed or keep silent as God reveals. There are times you may see something, go to God and say, God, I see something wrong. And God says, yeah, hush. And you say, okay. Now, if God says, don't go to them, that doesn't mean go to anybody else. But see, pride will push us there. Pride gets us to think, I'm going to, you know that brother so-and-so? I know everybody thinks really good things about him, but you know what? He is missing God. He is missing God. That's wrong. That, that, that's wrong. Don't do it. Brother Hagin used to teach us when we were down there at Raymond. He says, ministers will rise and ministers will fall. And he looked at us and he says, and you have nothing to do with their downfall. Hmm. Yeah, you got to be careful with that. We got to be real careful. God tells you to do something, you go ahead and do it. But uh, get direction from God. Just because you see something wrong does not mean it's time to handle it. Because first off, God may not have dealt with them about it yet. Because he may be saying they're not ready for it. 
When we first got born again, how many things were wrong in our life compared to the Word of God? Are we not glad that God did not deal with us on all those things? He just picked a couple of them and we worked on that and he picked a couple more and we worked on that and we picked a couple more and we worked on that. And what is, what is the, the heart of God? This is the thing you've got to keep in mind. The heart of God is to bring people back. Sometimes we think the heart of God is to correct. The heart of God is to bring people back. It says in heaven there is more rejoicing over the one who returned than the 99 who stayed. Right? God rejoices when they return. When the son returned, what did the father do? Party time. We had a party. We were glad because the son came back. We were glad. We were happy. We got to get the heart of God on this. God is about Bringing people back. And this is one of the hardest things you'll find in, in ministry. The, the more you get involved in ministry, if you get involved in ministry, you have people that are in the ministry underneath and doing, doing things uh, in, in areas. One of the hardest things to do is what do you do with, when you find out that a brother or sister is in error? It's not cut and dry. It's not, well, you're in error, so you're out. You can't do that. Because what's the heart of God? The heart of God is not exposing sin. The heart of God is not correcting. The heart of God is restoring. In order to restore, we do correct, but we correct in private. There's a lot of times that you do things and bring things to public that can cause people to not come back to God. Not to the church. To God. How many of you know some brothers and sisters that are out there were in a church and got hurt and left church altogether. And if you ever try and talk to him about it, about coming back out of the church, I was in church before. I used to serve God. You know what they did to me? Hmm. Now here's, here's one for you. This might help open up your eyes on some things. How many have ever heard of ministers, man, woman, don't matter, and all of a sudden it came out that they were in sin? And our first thought is, why didn't God deal with them? Why did God let them still be in that position? Why did God still anoint them? Why did God still use them? Have you ever asked yourself that, those things? I bet you have. It's simple. God loves his people. And he will use anyone to minister to his people. And he is all the time using imperfect vessels. All the time using them. Now there comes a point when God says, that's it, can't use you anymore. Samson reached that point. But Samson did not live himself a, a very good life. <laughs> but God still used him. The anointing of God still came on and he, he still was out there delivering folks from Philistines. There were still people in the Word of God who, uh, who did good things, but they were missing it. They were short on some things. Jehu, we just looked at him last week, did some good things. But the Word of God says his heart wasn't completely turned on to doing what the Word of God said. God still used him. Solomon. Then he had some great wisdom and did some good things. Then he get off. Yeah. We kind of think that as soon as we get off, God should shut the, the switch off. But God wants us to be restored. Get, uh, get this down. If you get this down, you understand God better. He is into people being restored. 
Not people being exposed. Because he loves, he loves people. He wants to get them back in. Anyway, as a servant, I can be used in the area of correction. Make sure you get used in the right way. Now, the person who presents correction bears some responsibility as to how a person receives it. A person who presents correction bears some responsibility as to how a person receives it, but not all. If you present what God says to present and they refuse it, it does not mean you missed it. How many of you have ever plugged something in and it didn't work? What is the first place you look to when you plug something in and it doesn't work? If you plug the vacuum cleaner in and the vacuum cleaner does not work, what is the first thing you look at? The vacuum cleaner, not the plug. Isn't that right? Every time if you plug in a lamp and the lamp doesn't turn on, what's the first thing you check? The lamp, the bulb. You're checking the, the area that is receiving, not the area that is giving. But there can be a problem with the area that is giving. You ever plug something into an outlet that's on a circuit breaker and the circuit breaker tripped? No matter what you do, there's nothing wrong with that lamp. There's nothing wrong with that vacuum cleaner. It got tripped on the circuit breaker until you found that out. See, sometimes when we're on the, the giving end, we've got to just make sure that there's no problem on our side. Take care of it. All right, First, uh, Second Samuel. Chapter 11. I understand this too in correction. There is also seeing something that is based on traditions or my feelings instead of God's Word. You're going to correct. You better make sure it's in God's Word. And it's not a tradition that you have. It's not something you've always thought was true. You need to know what the Word of God says on it. Verse 11. This is a familiar story to us, but, you know, it's just good to read the Word. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was, was very beautiful to behold. Now, you can read between the lines here. You can kind of get an idea. Now, you, you might be picking on Bathsheba that she's out there on the roof naked. But I guess that's what they did. So David sent and inquired about the woman... Someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. She returned to her house, and the woman conceived, so that she sent, told David, and said, I am with child. All right. Now, how many have ever gotten themselves into trouble? <laughs> Who hasn't gotten themselves in trouble, right? Three things about getting yourself in trouble. One, Usually, it is because you are being in the wrong place. Right? How many of you have gotten in trouble because you were in the wrong place? You shouldn't be there. You knew you shouldn't be there. But here you are. You know, how'd, how did that happen to you? Well, <laughs> you know, we hem and haul about it, but when it gets right down to it, should you have been there? No. No, I, I shouldn't have been there. Brother uh, Keith Moore was listening to him. And he was telling, I've heard him tell this story before, but he refreshed my memory on it. He was talking about when he was first getting started in the counseling center or the phone call. For they, they called in for prayer and things like that. And this woman called in for prayer. She was really down, downtrodden and just really upset. And she said, um, I was mugged yesterday. And he was very concerned. You know, he listened to her. He said, oh, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. And she was very upset. And um, 
So they began to talk about, and she really felt God let her down because she was mugged. How many of you could feel that? If you were walking out there and somebody came and hit you over the head, took your stuff, you'd feel that way. And so he was talking to her for a little while and talking to her and saying, he says, well, okay, you were, you were heading down into town. You had some business there to do. You had something that you had to get done. And she goes, well, no, not really. He says, oh, well, where were you going downtown? She explained that to him and says, but I had this feeling down on the inside that I shouldn't go. So you, you let people talk enough and it comes out. So you felt down in your spirit that you shouldn't go, but you went. Yeah. <laughs> he helped her out. He got to see it wasn't God's fault. She should have listened and not gone. And in the wrong place. That's, it's the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever. But don't be in the wrong place. How do you, how do you find that out? Spirit of God, I'll tell you. Steve, don't go there. I go there every day. I don't care. Don't go there today. Okay? I'll stay away from that. You've got to listen. Don't be in the wrong place. Brother Hagen uh, used to talk about a, a, a guy who was... Uh, it's been a while since I heard the story. But I think he had a dream or somehow he saw this in the spirit and he told this guy in the church, he says, uh, I had this... this uh, I think the guy had a dream himself. I think that's what it was. It was in, he was in Brother Hagen's church, but I think he might have had the dream himself. And he had this dream where he was, uh, he was an oil rig worker and he climbed up on the oil rig and he saw that this cable snapped and took his head off, clean off. And so he got into work the next day and, and began to see the events unfold that he had seen. Uh, that things happened like they happened in the dream. And a knee came. He had to climb up there and get that. And just as he was about ready to go up, because he was asked, you know, by the foreman going up there and do that, he, he, he remembered. Oh. He came on back to him and says, I don't think I'm supposed to go do that. I had this dream that I did that, and my head got cut off. And so another, another uh, worker, who was a believer, they were a believer, came up and said, I'm not superstitious. I'll do it. And he climbed up on the tower. The cable snapped, took his head off, and he died. Was it God's will? Nah. He's in the wrong place. Could have been worn just like the other one was. All right, first off, things that get you in trouble. Being in the wrong place. Second, entertaining wrong thoughts. First off, David is in the wrong place. Where does the Word of God say he should be? Out at the battle. He's in the wrong place. He's not out the battle. He's getting up off his bed at the wrong time of the day. That's not the time you're supposed to be getting up off your bed. Nighttime. He's going out on the roof, looking around. If you see something like that, what should you do? Go away. Go back inside. Something. So he's being in the wrong place. Besides being in the wrong place, he is entertaining the wrong thoughts. How do you know that? Because we know what he did. <laughs> Whatever you do, we said pride before, it comes in as a, as a thought, gets down into your heart, begins to affect your actions, and influence your talk. That's how you stay out of that. T-H-A-T. Entertaining wrong thoughts. Here's the third one. Asking for wrong things. What did David do? Who is that woman? Ask her to come on up here. So he did all three things. He was, in the, he was being in the wrong place. He was entertaining wrong thoughts. And he asked for the wrong thing. 
Don't, don't be doing that. You get yourself in trouble. Sometimes you get yourself in trouble just doing one of these things. David did three of them. Wrong place, wrong thoughts, asking for the wrong things. This isn't good. So anyway, he calls for her and she comes on over and, you know, but there's a whole lot left out of there. We don't know what her thought on this whole thing was, but anyway, we know what the end result was and she got pregnant. She sends a note, I'm going to have a baby. My husband isn't home. So David thinks about this. Hmm, what can we do to, uh, to fix this? So David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Then Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked him, or asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war prospered. You're taking one of your top guys and you bring him on back to shoot the breeze. <laughs> if you're Uriah, you've got to be thinking, what in the blazes is going on here? <laughs> Uriah might have been thinking, why aren't you out here with us, David? But he didn't say that. So after they did all that, David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. Now, he didn't say go in there and be with your wife, but he's hoping that will just happen. Go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house and all the servants of the Lord did not go down to his house. Now, I'm reading between the lines a little bit on this. So David sends him out and sends some food along. Where does David send the food? To the house. But he never makes it. So if you're his wife, you get a package of food. What's this here for? Well, Uriah came back from the battlefield, was with David, and uh, David told him to come home and here's some food for you guys. Now, he's not here. You said he came back from the battlefield? Yeah. He's not with David anymore? No. But he's not here. Now, if you're the wife, what are you going to be doing? You're going to send somebody on out there? You're going to go on out there? Uriah, come on, let's go home. I haven't seen you in months. That might have happened. I don't know. I can't imagine. You just think of yourself. Your husband has been gone for months. He comes into town and doesn't stop by to see you. What are you thinking? What a, what a nice guy. I mean, he comes all the way back from there. And, and he doesn't come to see me. Are you thinking that? No. You're thinking, how come he didn't come home? Something going on? Now, of course, she's got to be feeling guilty because she had this stuff going on. But anyway, we don't get any of that. We'll have to wait get to heaven to find out what happened there. <laughs> but Uriah, but you, can, you can picture it. Because you know, you're a wife, you're a husband. You can picture what would happen. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. This man's a man of integrity. David's having a hard time with this. Now, see, once we've missed it, once we have messed up, once we have gone, we have a couple of choices. First off, we can either clean up or we can cover up. David can even clean up his act or he can cover it up. He's choosing to cover it up. That's not a good thing. 
So he first off, he brings him. He, he brought Uriah back in. He's trying to bring him in to this crime that he's committed to help cover it up, even though Uriah doesn't know. He's hoping that, you know, he'll go home, find out, you know, months later that his wife is pregnant and think, oh, okay. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the next, that, that day and the next. Now, when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. So first off, he brings them and then he's going to make them. How many of you know people in your life who have brought you into a wrong place? Brought you in. Trying to take you along into whatever it is that they're getting involved in. And if you don't go along with their plans, then they want to try and make you into something. They'll either talk to other people about you to make their image of you something or they'll you know, be passing you stuff off. David's giving them alcohol, making them drunk. So David's not out the battle. David's loafing around the, the kingdom. And then he takes to one of his best men and gets him drunk. You think, if I get him drunk, he'll lose some of this control and he'll head on home. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Even drunk, he couldn't get this guy to do something. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He wrote in a letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. It amazes me how much people get other folks involved in covering up their sin and think it's just going to stay there. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there was valiant men and the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. Some of the people, the servants of David, fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. And Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens, the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a, price, a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died? At the bees, why did, you, why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Job had, had sent by him. The messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall to your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another." Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when, he, when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. There's a lot that goes on here that we're probably not told about. Joab was one of the best generals for an army. He was a great, great general for an army. Great generals are inventive. They want to try new ways of attacking. What Joab saw, probably, with this was an opportunity to try a new tactic to attack a city that was dangerous. If he just tried it on his own, he would have the wrath of David to contend with. But he thought, here's a place I can do it, and as long as we get him dead, we're good. So he try, probably tries this new tactic on the wall and it failed. It didn't quite work. And so Job says, all right, tell him this would happen. 
And uh, if he gets mad at us for doing it, then you just tell him Joab's dead. And uh, David was fine. So now we've involved Joab in it. Joab has gotten more people beside Uriah killed. This is, this is uh, expanding because of trying to cover up one single sin. Verse 1 of chapter 12. This is the main one to see. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds and the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished and grew up together with him and his children. He ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock from his own herd to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. What do we say about people that are in pride? They get angry at who? Other people, not themselves. He does not see himself in this thing. He doesn't see it. He gets mad at him. He should die killing that lamb. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. That's pretty direct, isn't it? Nathan is right. I mean, he, he does this well. I mean, he brings the story. I don't know if this is how God gave it to him or if he's thinking, dear God, if I say that to him, he's going to kill me. How can I do this? And inspiration came to him from the spirit. or how, well, I don't know how it came. I don't know if this, again, it came some way. And Nathan was uh, at least wise enough to find out, all right, if I have to deliver this word, how am I going to do it? And God gave him the way or however it was that he came to buy this thing. And he says it and let David pass judgment on himself, which he did. Man should die. David, you are the man. Is Nathan correcting David? What you've got to be careful about is that Nathan is not necessarily in a position to correct the king, but he has been a prophet that David has relied on before. And he's uh, looking at it from, taking it from that office. He says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up adversary, adversity against you from your own house. That happened. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, of this son. And that happened. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Hmm. Well, David does come clean. This is a lot of folks that are in pride that are having the issues that David does. When they are confronted, they get mad. They kill Nathan. They... Uh, they Whatever they might do, they, they, they don't come clean. But here he does. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned. Now, that's good. If you're in pride, you can get out of pride instantly. It is not a gradual thing. If you are in pride, 
you can get out of pride right away. You can do it. David did it right here. Now, David has choices. He could kill Nathan and hope that nobody else brings this out. He could uh, reject. I'm not going to go repent. This is uh, what I want to do. He's got a lot of choices, but only one has a, cho- has a future. How many of y'all know we've got some choices in front of us, but only one's got a good future? Amen. Amen. Don't choose the way of sin. Don't choose the way of pride. Choose the way that God has for you. But David's actions gave the enemy an opportunity. Folks, we have had some actions in our past that have given the enemy an opportunity. We have followed the wrong direction. And we've given the enemy an opportunity. You've given the enemy an opportunity. Stop blaming God for what the enemy is doing because you gave him an opportunity. Realize it. And, uh, and then work to correct it. Now, once he had, God had the opportunity, David relied on God to stop what the enemy was trying to do. Just because the enemy has an opportunity doesn't mean God wants you to die or to fall into that. He will help you, but you gave the enemy an opportunity. Now God says, now we'll take that opportunity we'll turn it around. But uh, this is what happened. So, are you ready? Are you ready to first off receive correction? Are you ready? If God were to come to you and speak to you through His Word, if God were to come to you and speak to you through His Spirit, if your spirit realizes you're missing it, or a servant of God comes along and speaks to you, are you ready to hear it? Let you get past that question. Are you ready to give correction? Now, we all love correcting people. Right? We all love telling them how to do it. But are you ready to give correction the way the Word of God says? That takes preparation. It takes getting ready. I didn't put this in your outline, but it's in mine. If you have not learned to receive correction, you cannot be taught how to give it. You've got to learn how to receive correction. If you do not know how to receive correction, you cannot, God cannot teach you how to give it. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to receive correction from the Word, from your spirit, from His spirit, from other servants. When you get that, you can start... God can start using you in the area of correction. Isn't it amazing how many people are in the body of Christ who feel that God has given them something to do in the area of correction and yet they can't receive it themselves? Does that seem funny? Are you ready to receive correction or are you ready to give it? How many of you have ever seen the movie? I guess it was a play made into a movie or something. My Fair Lady. Ever seen My Fair Lady? It's one of those old musicals. They don't make too many musicals anymore, but it was a good one. And, of course, the story tells about Henry Higgins. Henry Higgins, who was taking, uh, they had a bet with his buddy that he could take anyone and make them into a classy type of a person. And, of course, the, uh, the flower girl they found, Eliza. Yep. Eliza Doolittle. And she had a wonderful statement in here in the movie. I wrote it down so that we would uh, make sure we had it. But, but Mr. Higgins kept constantly... Remember, remember the movie? She's, he's, she's walking with the books on her head and she's singing different notes and they're developing her how she talks and get rid of that accent and changing her clothes and her hair and, and making her look nice and making her act nice and getting her manners and showing her how to use the silverware and the cups and how to do all the different things that she should do as a lady. But she, I believe in the, the movie, she, wasn't she falling in love with, with Higgins? 
And he didn't see her as anything. And she got frustrated and she wanted to leave and she did leave. And here's the thing that she said. The difference... This is uh, Eliza talking. The difference between a lady and a flower girl is not how she behaves, but how she is treated. I will always be a flower girl to Mr. Higgins because he always treats me that way. How do you treat the people that are around you? Do you treat them as flower girls? As people that are nothing? People who have no value? Or do you treat the people that are around you as valuable simply because they're valuable to your father? If you see them as valuable to your father, then they're valuable to you. And if you treat every person with that kind of value, it changes how you relate to them changes how you see them. If you can make that change in yourself to not see like Henry Higgins a flower girl but to see someone of value God can use you in the area of corrections. He can use you to help other people. But if not we're going to flounder in the area where we can't even receive correction. And folks the reason for that is because We are caught up in a pride we don't even realize we have. And it's hindering you. It's holding you back. If I cannot receive what God is speaking to me, I cannot grow. I cannot overcome. I cannot get past where I am. If I am going to rise, if I am going to soar, if I am going to do things for God, I need to hear what He says to me because the Lord corrects those whom he loves that means if God loves you he will correct you and he will correct you in a number of different ways he's going to correct you through his word he's going to correct you through your spirit he's going to correct you through his spirit and if all that fails He's going to correct you with other people. He'd much rather you listen to the Word, listen to your spirit, listen to His spirit. But if all that fails, His goal is restoration. And He will do whatever He needs to do to get you restored. Because He loves you. Let's catch the heart of God. And look at the people that are around us. First off, see them as valuable. See them as God sees them. See them as having the same value that they have. Don't look at them for all their hang-ups and all the things that they've done that are wrong and all the things they've come up short on. See them as valuable because it will change the way that you speak to them. It will change the way that you try to relate to them. See them as having value. God sees you as having value. Remember this parable of the pearl? The man found the pearl of great price. He sold everything he had just to get the pearl. God sees you as valuable, having great value, so much so that he gave his only son to die on the cross for us because he saw us as valuable and he wants restoration. We've got to have that same heart, the same thing before God. Pride keeps us in a place 
where we don't care about restoration. I care about exaltation. I want to be seen as somebody good. But humility says, Father God, I want your kingdom to soar. Whatever you want, I want. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in your words, enlightening us through our spirit, showing us through your spirit speaking to us and even through your servants correcting us. Father, we have great places to go, higher heights to, to soar to, but we've got some things holding us back. And you want to help us to get rid of all those weights that hold us back. So, Father, we want to prepare ourselves to receive whatever it is that you have to say. That when we hear it, we are ready to make a change. We're ready. Thank you for the help that you give us in that, Father. Train us up that we can learn how to be used in your body to help others overcome the things that are holding them back. To do it with humility, to do it with grace, to do it with mercy. For if we show mercy, we receive mercy. And as we have already received, so we should give. Thank you, Father. We give you the praise and the glory for it. We look forward to this week, Father, you showing us people that we can help. People that we can edify, build up. Other folks that we can amplify. And people, Father, that we can help. Remind us to guard our words, to not speak in such a way about other people, about the shortcomings that we see. But to only speak to those people that we're supposed to. In Jesus' name, amen. We have some praise reports, I believe. And if you didn't get your praise report in, want to hear what God is doing. Uh, write it down. You can sit down for a moment if you want to or stand whichever you wish. I'm just going to read some of these over. If uh, what we do here, we, we like to hear what God is doing in everyone's life. Not only what God has done for you, what God has done through you. And speaking to other people, helping other people out. Have everybody so far? All right. These first two, um, let's see, the first one is from Daryl. Uh, he said he was hit um, in his car while sitting at a stoplight, but there was no damage to either his car or the other car, and nobody was hurt. So praise God, we have angels watching over us. Like Vanessa said last week, I, I encourage her to share this again. So God kept her from an accident. Um, she, you know, we can sometimes just get ourselves in situations. We're driving along, and she was sharing this with me. She said she just absentmindedly took a turn in the left lane, you know, going to the wrong way, and um, avoided hitting somebody from the other side. So praise God, angels will protect us. Amen. Um, this one I'm going to share last year. Uh, this is from Phyllis. She said, after some crazy, wild plumbing issues, <laughs> God gave them wisdom. And we know we've been talking about wisdom. We need to have wisdom in, in everyday affairs. God gave them wisdom, um, and they now have clean running water. Praise God. <laughs> um, they got to have some fun with their family. Uh, also, was visiting from Florida. Um, this one I am just so thrilled about. This is from Jim. And as you know, Jim's been suffering with some problems with his back. Um, for a while, he had some major back issues and some surgeries and whatnot. And he received favor from a power chair company. His doctor was able to get him a power chair. But you know, 
God's best for us is to be completely whole, not having to rely on these things if we don't have to. And he said he began to, to uh, deal with the Lord on this. He said one day he was praying before their vacation, and he asked, he asked the Lord about uh, to help him with the pain, take the pain away. And God was dealing with him just to give it over to him, give, give over the whole situation to him. And so he says, all right, you know, that's what I'm going to do. He says when they were getting ready, he was... He just felt this impression to leave the chair behind. <laughs> That's a leap of faith. <laughs> going to be walking for a long while. He said to leave it behind. So God spoke to him about it. He said he left it behind. And he said immediately when he made that decision, he realized that the pain started to subside. And so they were able to take the two-and-a-half-hour trip down to the shore. And uh, he had no pain and has had not any pain since then. Amen. Praise God. So what, what moves God? What? Faith. Faith. Amen. Um, Corey has successfully completed his job training and is now waiting his placement there. So he's had favor on the job as well. Praise God for that. Amen. You know, we, we know God is working in every area of our lives. Amen. And I just talked to Josiah today. He's just finished up his fourth week at his new job. Praise God. Amen. So any other prayer requests or praise reports? Mandy, I wanted to ask you, have you heard from Lamar? He's doing well. How many more weeks? Four weeks left. All right. Keep them up in prayer. He's still out there at his boot camp training, so we believe in him to come home soon. Amen. All right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Wednesday, we are going to be getting into, uh, we just finished the book of Acts, so we're going to spend uh, just a little bit of time on what happened to the apostles after Acts. What happened to Peter? What happened to Paul? What happened to John? Where'd they go? What'd they do? Kind of things like that. So uh, we're going to be relying on some of the references in the epistles and some historical references. So it's a little different than what we usually do on, on Wednesdays. But uh, we'll have that going on, on on Wednesday night. We'll pick that up for just a little bit and then we get into another uh, Bible book study. And then uh, Saturday, uh, next Sunday we have um, uh, prayer. It's going to be here at 1 o'clock, all church prayer. And Saturday is the ladies' brunch at 10 o'clock. All those things are in your bulletin as well to remind you. And don't forget to get involved in reading the Bible. Chapter a day, five days a week. Pick that up. Uh, the, the chart is out there in the back. You want to, you want to pick that up. And we just uh, simplified it this year, just made it one chapter. So you just uh, just pick that up. Uh, we just started, uh, we're, we're pretty early on in the, the new setting, so we're only about halfway through Matthew. Uh, but uh, jump in on that because it's good to read the Bible. Good to, good to be getting into the Word of God on a regular basis. Uh, there is a uh, particular thing I'm going to share with those of you who are on, on Facebook probably later on this afternoon. So if you uh, get a chance to check that out, uh, put that up there. If you don't have, uh, have our Facebook page liked, just go to the web page and you'll see the feed to it. And you can take a look at that and uh, let us know. There's something in particular I wanted to see you, you do, but you need to see the whole whole thing there laid out. So that's going to be going on on the Facebook page probably later on today. No, no later than, than tomorrow, but probably later on today I'll, I'll post that up. So just be looking for it. Have a great rest of the week. Bless some folks before you get out of here. And it sure is good to see you.